for me, it was a discovery for myself and a way to kind of present uh, Ukraine's culinary diversity to the world. That was my mission. Welcome to the Zavzatis podcast from Ukrainian San Antonio, the show where we meet and dive into the stories of incredible people who work to preserve and enrich Ukrainian culture and history. In addition, we also explore the personal leadership, tenacity, and bias to action behind the stories of our guests. Each episode is an inspiration to find new ways to engage with Ukrainian culture and traditions. Today, we have a pleasure of talking with Ole Hercules. She is an award-winning Ukrainian-born British author and chef. In the last five years, Ole published three successful cookbooks that were a tribute to her Ukrainian, Moldovan, and Azerbaijani heritage. Ole, we are so happy to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for having me on. So I want to start with your first book, Mamushka, that came out about five years ago. It made quite a splash. It got a lot of awards, a lot of attention. And this book was really a reflection of culinary traditions of your family. So question I have for you, when you were growing up in Ukraine, did you help around the kitchen or the love for cooking came later in life? The love for cooking definitely came later in life. I mean, we did little jobs here and there. There's mm-hmm. any kind of cherry conserve making or something, with, but not, nothing, nothing too kind of intentional in a way. It wasn't like, okay, now we're going to cook together like I do now with my son. Well, actually, I was quite lazy. And <laughs> even as a teenager, my dad tried to force me to cook with my mom every Sunday. And, and I did for a bit, but I kept burning things. I just, I wasn't interested. So yeah, so the love for cooking actually came when I was around 20. I spent a year in Italy and then a summer in Sicily because I was studying Italian uh, language at university in England. Yeah, and I just saw people of my age and actually loads of young men as well as women in Italy Mm. who were just cooking so naturally and with such a great feeling and, and enjoyment that I think they kind of like inspired me. So then I went back to England to finish my university course and started uh, cooking slowly, slowly in my yeah, early 20s. How was the idea for your first book, Mamushka, was born? Huh, well, <laughs> out of um, a bit of a desperate situation, actually, in mm-hmm. a way. And it, it wasn't even a book idea to begin with. I lost my job in... Early 2015, I think, um, I was a recipe developer for a company. The company folded. And then I was actually unemployed for about a month. Uh, I was kind of single, mothering, unemployed, (laughs) looking for freelance work. It was winter when everything was happening in Ukraine, basically. You know, parallel to my personal kind of situation, there was this really huge situation happening in Ukraine. And because my mom and dad are so close to Crimea, I was actually really quite terrified about what might happen to them in order to stay positive and to have something to do as well obviously I had my little son to look after and that's you know I had my hands full anyway but for myself I just thought okay I need to start writing something down to keep in good spirits and not to let myself slip into depression so I started writing down kind of here and there recipes from my childhood I've already had a couple of them published in the Guardian in the previous year and kind of inspired by the interest of the Guardian editors who said, oh, is this another one of your mom's recipes? They're amazing. You know, so I started kind of writing them down then. Yeah. And, and that's when I guess the little embryo idea happened. Yeah. But that was, so that was February. But then it's a really tiny idea kind of like developed very quickly because an, a- an agent spotted my, the Guardian recipes yeah. 
contacted me. I went to see her. She said, I tick every box, but not quite there. So come back in two years. Obviously, my heart sank and I thought, oh, I was so close, but I didn't lose hope. And I just kept writing those recipes and met with a couple of young photographers and asked them to do a couple of test shoots to have also kind of a photographic evidence that Ukrainian dishes can be really beautiful. We wanted to show that, yes, amazing potato and cabbage recipes, but also much more than that. And one thing led to another, I'll cut the story short, but by April of the same year, so a couple of months later, not a couple of years, I had an, a publisher who was interested in, in the book. Uh, so I phoned that agent and I said, I know you said two years, but why did you, Faber Guardian, want to publish the book? And she yeah. said, right, I'm signing you up. So she's got signed up to United agents which is one of the biggest agencies in uh, Europe and she told me to write the proposal and I wrote it in a night I put my son to bed at eight and I wrote <laughs> until four in the morning and I had this it's basically almost like a mini dissertation you know it was yeah. 25 pages of writing there and I submitted it and and then it got accepted by well the three three publishers were fighting for the rights and then in the end I went with Octopus. Well I am <laughs> uh, personally I think a lot of people are very happy you didn't listen <laughs> to initial advice of waiting for two years <laughs> yes <laughs> just uh, you know grab the bull by the horns yes. as they say <laughs> yes oh i i you know our podcast is called zavziatis it's audacity that is a perfect example of zavziatis <laughs> what you just described so you know one of the things personally i found difficult cooking ukrainian food in the united states is finding ingredients or kind of adapting it to other ingredients that are available how do you go about modernizing the ukrainian cooking for Western cuisine. You take a recipe and you think, well, I need to cut the time or I need to change this uh, ingredients. How does that process work? So when I wrote Mamushka, I think I was really keen to kind of modernize. Yeah, like initially, mm -hmm. actually the book, the idea for the book, it was called The Modern Mamushka. And yeah. then we just decided to go with Mamushka in the end. And kind of bringing this new cuisine into uh, into the English kind of food landscape, I, I thought, oh, I, I must modernize everything. I must change this and change that. And now, kind of six years later, I, I feel like I'm doing that less and less. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm trusting that actually all of those, you know, most of those techniques are there for a reason and they work yeah. and, it's, and it's all beautiful. So in terms of techniques, I'm kind of embracing the originals a lot more and respecting them a lot more. Not that I didn't respect them before, just sometimes there's just no need to mess around with it yeah. it's fine for example before I'd be like oh I can't for example in Mamushka I didn't include this recipe which was a braised cabbage recipe that was braised for a long time in a bit of tomato and it's got some red peppers in it but you know I was really nervous people will think that I'm doing this overcooked cabbage thing but it's a delicious recipe so in yeah. summer kitchen I was like nah I'm adding it <laughs> it's so delicious and people have been cooking it and they love it yeah. uh, and in terms of ingredients again the most important thing for me and what I I tell people is to find the especially if it comes to vegetables or something just find the best quality that you can find mm. or can afford yes. because really Ukrainian cuisine is dependent on these wonderful ingredients that people mm. most of the time grow in their own gardens or yes. if you go to a market you'll get fantastic seasonal ingredients mm -hmm. I find that this is key to a really beautiful Ukrainian recipe in terms of other specific ingredients for example even six years ago yes I couldn't find the toasted kind of unrefined sunflower oil but now you can the UK we've moved so much 
you know, even frozen cherries for ages I couldn't find. Now you can find frozen cherries and I can use them in my cooking. Another one, of course, salo, even though you can make it quite easily yourself. But now Italian lardo is super popular in London. And again, you can find it online quite easily. So in terms of ingredients, I think it's fine. What I would stress to anyone who tries to cook Ukrainian food is just to try and cook seasonally and to find yes. ingredients that, you know, people have put some love into growing it. Yes. You know, I remember I had friends who came to, to Ukraine and they tasted the tomato that came from my grandma's <laughs> garden. And they're like, wow, you cannot find tomatoes like this. But now, as you said, like all these seasonal vegetables, like farmer's markets and stuff, it becomes very popular and you can find some good ingredients. So talking about modernizing and getting your recipes adopted, how do you do your testing? Who is in your test kitchen? Who does it say? Like, do you have Ukrainians say, oh, yeah, it's still authentic. Or do you have uh, some, uh, you know, British folks who are saying, well, we have, we're not sure about this one. How does the testing go? <laughs> So in terms of, for example, summer kitchens, yes, there are a couple of recipes there. For example, I have braised pig's ears that you toss <laughs> with uh, like this garlic and uh, paprika paste, which is to me is absolutely delicious and like the most delicious beer snack. And I have included it in the book and another couple of awful recipes because yeah. I thought it was important to show people that those parts of animals are more than edible and actually are delicious. Yes, absolutely. But, but yes, of course, you'd get some people in Britain that are not quite used to it. Even though, you know, even in British cuisine, even in the 50s, they used to eat cow udders they do in yeah. Ukraine. It's it's all been in every culture. It's mm -hmm. just been, it's more the 20th century that's an industrialization that kind of exactly. cut that. But the rest of the recipes are quite universally de delicious. <laughs> but of course, working on a new project, for example, now, and I've got my best friend who's testing some recipes mm -hmm. for me. And for, I have a chapter which is all about kind of comfort eating and family eating and the recipes that I'm going to include they must pass her kids test. <laughs> so if her kids love it it's going to go in yeah. if it's not I might put it into the other chapter where it's like well, yeah it's okay it's not too bad actually well, adapting well I'm looking forward to your next project Olya, what I would like our listeners to know is that you are indeed a professionally trained chef at Lee's School of Food and Wine what I'm curious to know when you were writing Mamushko or any of your other books is there anything that you look at how your family cooked or from your research that you've learned that they did not teach you at Leith School of Food and Wine? Uh, oof, yes, absolutely. Um, well, actually, quite a few techniques kind of go against some of the classical French stuff that okay. we've learned. In Ukrainian cuisine, working with, for example, with filo dough like my mom makes this incredible uh, kind of moldovan i guess inspired twist that her mother used to make um she used to call it vertuta and and the way that my mom uh, stretches the dough is very specific you know she uses the back of her hands um twisting the kind of the, the pastry up and down then she kind of like flips it in the air you know with we, we didn't we didn't learn this at least another yeah. thing for example is when she makes this stew called noodly it's mm -hmm. in it's in mamushka the cookbook the way that they cook meat they put these pork ribs in mm -hmm. and in at least for example it's been drummed in our head if you put really high heat on meat it's gonna go yeah. uh tough you know and it's not gonna work and whatever and mm -hmm. and they're just like what are you talking about if it's something like really fatty ribs you just <laughs> really let it boil and they become soft and whatever it's just like little bits here and there where actually yes there are the 
French kind of techniques that uh, have their value, mm-hmm. but also there's uh, there are different ways of cooking and different ways of producing dishes in other cuisines, which sometimes really go against this kind of like I, even I was like oh, but I was taught this way, yeah, yeah. How, you know, this is not correct, and my mom was like, look. I, watch me I'm gonna do it and it's gonna work and the meat is gonna be soft and then it works out and you're like ah okay yeah. <laughs> mom is <laughs> always right <laughs> exactly <laughs> so mamushka is how you call your mom uh, yes you really kind of almost I want to say oh this book to her so when the book was published and you got all this success I'm just curious to know what did she say to you like what was her reaction well so my mom of course she helped me write the book because most mm-hmm. of the recipes are from my childhood so they're either hers or her mom's or my or other members of my family I went to Ukraine and we basically I just followed her around her and my auntie around with my scales and my spoons etc and and we wrote the book together essentially she was here in the UK she was here in London when the first copy of copy of Mamushka came the first Mm -hmm. ever copy that I saw in flesh and we sat down at the table and opened the book and we just cried she felt proud and happy and extremely emotional I think yeah I mean to be honest with you it happens with with all of the other books (laughs) the same we get we get really emotional about it I'm glad the book came out because it's it really introduced Ukrainian cuisine to a lot of people who did not know about it people as you say was cabbage and potatoes very simple but such a beautiful project to share with your mom it's just so wonderful such a wonderful story behind it (laughs) The first book, Mamushka, it was really, as you said, it was born out of almost necessity to preserve all the recipes from your family. But your latest book, which I absolutely love, Summer Kitchens. And for a lot of our listeners who do not know what Summer Kitchens kitchens are, it's a phenomenon. It's something very unique. My grandma had Summer Kitchen, so I'm very familiar with that, Litnia Kuchnia. So when you started with that book, what was your goal? Like with the, with the, with the Mamushka, it was to preserve family recipes. What was the goal for Summer Kitchens? It was to show first of all to learn and then to show the world the diversity of ukrainian cuisine because of course the recipes in mamushka some of them are ukrainian some of them are from other parts of the world because our family is kind of big obviously because of the soviet union like many Mm -hmm. other ukrainian families we had kind of connections to different places my dad's family married into an armenian family and they lived in azerbaijan so there was that Mm -hmm. connection my siberian grandma lived in uzbekistan so there's another connection with central asia but here i really wanted to look within Ukraine you know I've traveled around it uh, when I was a child and Mm -hmm. later but I haven't been to near as many places I feel like I should have done so that was my aim to and and summer kitchens which of course are for those listeners who don't know what it is it's a separate little building basically like an outhouse where it's just one room and it's a kitchen and you cook there during the summer, your daily meals. And then come September, you do all of your pickling projects. So you just hundreds <laughs> of jars. And that's where like the big operation yeah. for preserving for winter happens. And it's a beautiful tradition. And I just casually mentioned it to someone about seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And they said, what? So my kitchen, you know, re- rewind. What do you mean? What is it? <laughs> I told them and then I realized, oh, wow, it's a really unique and beautiful culinary tradition. And maybe it makes for a really great prism because they exist all over Ukraine which is very diverse we've got your Ukrainian highlanders the Hutu mm-hmm. people in the western mm-hmm. Ukraine you've got Tatar people you know in Crimea and also in my area where I'm from in the south you've got uh, all of the borders of course which you know we, we mm-hmm. border with so many countries and you've got different influences from around there you've got central Ukraine which is very Ukrainian and for me it was a discovery for myself and a way to kind of present uh, Ukraine's culinary 
extraordinary diversity to the world. That was my mission. So you traveled to Ukraine and, you know, you mentioned you went to the parts of Ukraine you've never been to before. So did you have an idea what type of recipes you wanted to collect? Oh, that was just let's travel and find out as much as we can. Both. So, of course, I've I've done my uh, research beforehand and I kind of had an idea of what to look for, what, where. But then, for example, Transcarpathia, I have been going there for the previous kind of two years with my food tours. Uh So I completely by chance encountered cooks and uh, dishes that I I wouldn't know, I've never seen in other books or I didn't know that existed or were cooked in that area. So Mm -hmm. some of them I did come about completely by chance. And I think uh, they were actually the most exciting, all of these surprises that uh, came my way. Or in Poltava, for example, the apples that you ferment in the pumpkin puree, I had no idea. And such a strange kind of sounding thing, but they were absolutely delicious. And again, I didn't even taste it there. It was just in the memory of one of the women, all the women that um, showed me their summer kitchens. She just mentioned it and I went, wow, okay, (laughs) this sounds amazing. And they were amazing, actually. (laughs) So is there a favorite recipe in summer kitchens that you have that's new to you? Favorite recipe? Oh, my God. Um, oh, uh, quite. Actually, there were quite a few. There was one that I made this year with my uh, with the pears from our tree in our garden to this new house a couple of years ago and there's this really big old pear tree and we always have this glut and I don't know what to do with it so in Poltava what they do is they dry these uh, they half the pears you know two halves and then they slowly dry them out in the peach oven dry out and smoke at the same time and then you use these pears in a variety of ways and my favorite way is to put them into your stock for making borscht and we are lucky enough to have uh, Joe uh, built a little uh, you know wood fired oven kind of uh, oh that is very lucky <laughs> yeah so but you can do it in a in a conventional yeah. oven as well so that that's one of the recipes that uh i, th- I think is a real treasure like I, I love them and i was yeah i feel so lucky to have been able to make them with my own pears this year that but there, is phenomenal. there's more there's there's so many it's really hard to pick yes well one thing i have to say that i i love mamushka and i but i really love summer kitchens I, first of all, I think the photography is phenomenal. Uh, the book, I would say it's a cookbook. It's a, there's a lot of wonderful recipes, but uh, you're a wonderful writer. So every, uh, like before every section, there's a really nice storyline. And before every recipe, there is a little bit of a background about the recipe. So it's a wonderful book, not only to learn to cook Ukrainian food, but also to learn about Ukrainian culture and Ukrainian traditions. So it's just, it's wonderful. And you have really nice photographs of the summer kitchens in the book as oh, well. Thank you so much. I, <laughs> yes, I loved it. Like, I need to try the pears because my great grandma, Melanka, she had this area right outside the house where she would cut up the apples, but she would dry them in the sun. So it was sun-dried apples, but she would use those... There's a picture of them in the in the yeah. book actually. Yeah, drying on the on the kind of like on the covering on the floor in the yes, sun. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Exactly. It's like so wonderful. People still doing that. It's you know, it's yeah. it's you know, hopefully that still will continue on because Ukraine also becoming very modernized and there's a lot of yeah. grocery chain grocery store, which kind of makes me sad <laughs> in a way, but hopefully those traditions will continue on. You know, we also talked about the kids and how important they are. So what is, what is the favorite Ukrainian meal for your children? Oh, I mean, borscht. I know it's... Uh, <laughs> borscht. 
stereotypically Ukrainian thing, yeah. but I, I still have um, videos of my, I have two sons. One of them is one year old and the other one is almost nine. And the nine year old, I have videos of him when he was like one and a half or something. And he's eating borscht kind of with his <laughs> hands out of the little bowl, you know, before he learned how to then with a spoon properly. And he's just yeah. like, oh, borscht. Like, borscht. I love it. <laughs> he really loves it. And, uh, and the little one as well, actually, is a big fan of beetroot in general. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, very Ukrainian uh, then, for sure. Very Ukrainian. Um, Yes, I think I think borscht is the favorite. Although, to be honest, to be honest with you, holopsi as well. Oh um, yes, of course. Both of them. When, whenever my mom comes, they're just like, "Can you make the cabbage ones, not the pepper <laughs> ones?" <laughs> I'm the same way. I do not make holopsi. My mom makes holopsi, but my daughter she loves borscht, but she also loves chestnut. So <laughs> she takes yeah. a, she eats borscht like a, a rye bread and a piece of garlic. That's Ukrainian. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's oh the only God, way she'll I, eat it. Yes, I love her. Our podcast is called Zavzatis with Audacity. Clearly, you have Audacity because you're hardworking, you seize the opportunity, you take the bull by the horns, as you said. You are very busy and you pulled in many different directions. I'll give you a little bit of um, advice for our listeners in terms of how do you rebalance? How do you prioritize? How do you take time to sit down and think about things and make sure you're on the right track? Oh, I wish that I had the perfect answer. At the moment, I think, since the situation that we're in happened, I think like everyone, I am struggling more than than normal. <laughs> with, a, with a tiny baby and minimal childcare, and now with the older son at home as well, it's hard. You know, the one th- really good thing that I did recently that I can highly recommend I did take a whole month off my phone I put my and there's a drawer downstairs and I put my phone in the drawer and I left it there of course if I had like messaged my dad or my mom or whatever you'd go and do it but put it straight back into the box and go away it didn't take that long within a couple of weeks I was like oh my god this feels so good I have so much more time I actually listen to this I read six books during the holidays (laughs) which is like an unheard of thing. I, I stopped uh, reading after what feels like after I had yeah. my first son because you're always <laughs> so exhausted. You know, in the evening, you're just like, oh my God, none of these words are going yeah. in. But having put my phone away, I feel like I really reconnected with reading and reading instead of watching something at night also made for a much better sleep. And I don't know, I just felt... I love your really advice. Recharged. And really that helped me to balance things out. Uh, unfortunately now I have to go back to my phone because Instagram is you know a lot of my work (laughs) does happen there so I can't completely abandon it but I am also after this break I'm also kind of going you know what this is not a bad thing to actually leave the phone here in the drawer and then come to it not carry it around with me exactly in the house especially if I'm either spending time with my children or doing work and also whenever possible uh, to do one thing at a time not try to do like oh I'm kind of looking after my kid and I'm kind of answering emails no just I, now I go to my husband and I go look I've got ha- I need half an hour to do all of these emails properly please can you look after Wilfred which of course he does he's an amazing dad yeah. and then I do it or then I'm like okay now I've got an hour I'm just going to play with the baby or do a project with Sasha or whatever so just one thing at a time I think is 
something that um, really works and less phone. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good advice. I mean, I think everybody wants to do multitasking. Multitasking was such a popular thing. But right? I think more and more people now realize that this, dis, you know, distributed attention is really not getting you anywhere. It's really better to focus on one thing at a time. And yes, yeah. I love the idea uh, of <laughs> ignoring the phone. I'm sometimes I, I don't do the iPhone, but I do ignore social media and it gives you so much time. And, you know, one thing I also want to talk about, because you mentioned you like to read and uh, I love reading your books, but there's a little secret behind it that I want to uh, kind of highlight is that you were a journalist major, right? In college. Uh no, I, no? I actually never studied journalism at university, but I fell into it after I finished my uh, master's okay. degree. So my master's it. was in um, in translation, actually, and I did work oh, okay. as a translator for a while. And then I just got a job as a reporter in the magazine, uh, kind of by a bit of a weird <laughs> chance. And then I, I, yeah, I was a journalist for three, well, a junior reporter. I mean, I can't say that oh, I wow. was a, an award-winning journalist <laughs> or anything like that. I was very young. But uh, but I did I did work for a magazine for three three years or so yeah wonderful well that's you know like it's, it's what is really interesting too is that I think about your path in life is so it's not a like you didn't you didn't come to to where you are now it's kind of having like long term goal but you were able to kind of capitalize on all the experiences that you've had along the path uh, and they really serving you well now that's wonderful uh, yeah. you. Know, and I think that there's, um, uh, so, so sorry to interrupt. I think there's something in there. People sometimes think like, oh, this is my career and my career path. And this is where I have to stay my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't believe in that. I think that you actually do something well for a number of years, but like every seven or 10 years reassess. And exactly. if you haven't found something that's like, oh, you know, I want to do this for the rest of my life, yeah, yeah. you know, you can always kind of like change, like you, you can change your, your situation can, and your life. It's, and it's, it can be amazing. And, the, you know, this is making such a wonderful point because it's basically reinventing yourself. But if you are not doing a lot of these different things, you're not able to reinvent because you have no basis to kind of assess or skills to help you in your next adventure, so to say. Yeah. You know, don't be afraid of change and don't be afraid of doing things basically that will benefit you. You just need to know how to, they will benefit you in the future. Well, you know, I've read a couple of your interviews. I know that you said you were, you worked in a restaurant, but you laughed that career because it's very taxing uh, being a mom, a woman, and working in a restaurant. Have you thought about opening your own restaurant? So that's going to be after maybe seven years, six years down the road, (laughs) assessing? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, You know what, for for ages, I love, so I love cooking and Mm -hmm. I, I miss cooking for loads of people. I miss the bars of service and all of that. But I will be completely honest with you, like the business side of it, all of the bits that have nothing to do with creativity or with cooking itself. Yeah. I'm a bit like, yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> but if, if there was this uh, incredible, like kind hearted, rich person that would come up to me <laughs> and say, look, I w- we will open it. I will cover and do everything. All of the bits that you don't want to do and you create and cook. I'll, I'll say, yes, fantastic. <laughs> I'd love to do that. But otherwise, it's, you know, it's so much. And with all of the book writing and children, mm-hmm. is, as you say, yeah, it's, it's way, it's way too, too difficult, I think, to do. Yeah. Well, I do hope that person does come along because I would love, <laughs> one day I will make it to England and I would love to visit your restaurant. <laughs> 
Thank you. We did have in mind, actually, maybe once this crazy situation happens, that we might actually do some dinners from our home because we've got this room that is quite accommodating so we can maybe fit about 20 people outside and inside. So we were going to do kind of like a mini kind of supper club situation, which would be quite nice. So, Ola, it was so wonderful talking to you and learning about you personally because I think your story is so interesting and so inspiring and there's so much to learn from you personally in addition to all the Ukrainian cooking that in the book that are beautifully written beautiful photography and like honestly what I also liked about the book which I thought okay you've put a lot of thought of it because the quality of the paper for summer kitchens is so authentic you know, good, I, just, I just absolutely loved it. I loved everything about it. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Let us know when you're having those dinners, restaurants, etc. <laughs> and we would love to come and visit you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was such thank a pleasure you. to talk to you. Thank, thank you, you so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to Zavzati's podcast from Ukrainian San Antonio. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes. Until next time, goodbye.